Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. It turns out that one of the main heartaches when people are not connecting in this way in their marriage, one spouse wants more intimacy than the other. That's one of the most common patterns. That was 79% of couples that, that they were on different pages in some way. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. True story. When we were early in our marriage, I often said to Mark, sex. I could go the rest of my life without it. And I totally believed you. (laughs) I was convinced. (laughs) I know it. And needless to say, we had all kinds of challenges in that area of our marriage. We sure did. And eventually we sought out sex therapy. And it was a game changer for us. It was. It opened the door for both of us to do what we call a new internship in sex. Mm-hmm. Because the the home that you grow up in and, and your past experiences is a part of your internship. And it's an we intern in conflict resolution, finances, communication, and even the sexual relationship. Yeah. And our beliefs about sex. And sometimes uh, that internship serves us well. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to look at it and go, eh, I think we need a new internship. And so today we're going to talk about having a new internship in sex. So you want to pay attention. And helping us do that today is Shanti Feldhahn and Dr. Michael Seitzma. They are the authors of a new book called Secrets of Sex and Marriage, Eight Surprises That Make All the Difference. Now, Shanti is a best-selling author. She's a social researcher, a speaker. She has a graduate degree from Harvard, and Shanti uses her analytical background to help relationships thrive. She and her husband, Jeff, have co-authored groundbreaking relationship books with nearly 3 million copies sold. Just a few. (laughs) And Dr. Seitzma is an ordained minister, licensed professional counselor, certified sex therapist, professor, and national speaker. And he has over 30 years of clinical experience in sex therapy. Hmm. Welcome, Shanti and Dr. Seitzma. We're so glad to have you join us. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we want you to know that um, we have chosen your book as part of our evening connecting routine as a couple. And we have been reading it together 
uh, most every night, usually about three to four pages at a time. That's about all we can do because we talk <laughs> yeah. and talk and talk. Yes, it's been it's been really good. I'm so glad but, to hear that. That makes me so happy. Yeah, it's that's what uh, we designed it for. So you guys are doing it perfect. I tell my couples the goal is not to get to the end of the book. The goal is to talk about it all the way through. Oh, yes. and we are. We totally are. Yes, exactly. And and sometimes, I mean, we have read books together like this. Mm-hmm. It's often part of our evening routine uh, as a couple. Um, and it'll take us six to nine months to get <laughs> right. through a book, you know, because yes. we're just, uh, we're processing it, we're applying it mm-hmm. to our relationship. And we certainly have found um, that this book, uh, The Secrets of Sex and Marriage, has been uh, really a great resource to do that. So thank you. Yeah. And you guys conducted the largest nationally represented study with married couples about sex to uncover the most urgent sex related issues for the average married couple. So what inspired you guys to tackle this subject? Cause it's a pretty big subject. Hmm. Here's how this whole thing actually started. So you guys, we've been friends for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Mark and Jill. And you all have known that over the years, um, Jeff and I have tackled all these different topics around marriage and parenting and just a lot of different things about people's relationships. And one of the topics that we kept hearing about in Mm -hmm. our interviews and our surveys was this one, right? Like this is everybody kind of knows that sex and money are two of the big argument starters. Well, we tackled money in the last book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were like, oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for sex. Yeah. <laughs> have to tackle this one. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. I literally, I like couldn't say the word from stage. <laughs> like if Jeff and I were talking about this topic, we'd be like, well, because you know, sex is so important like our, <laughs> our voices would drop we would whisper the word and so we're like okay we obviously have a problem here because we have to be able to talk about it too and mm-hmm. um, it, we figured if we were going to be doing this research project to try to dig out what really mattered there's only one person that we wanted to do it with because we knew we couldn't do it on our own like we could do damage on this topic if we got mm-hmm. something wrong And there's so many things that are specialized about this. And Dr. Mike has been our advisor on this area in all of our research for almost 20 years. And so I don't, I don't think we would have done it if he wouldn't have agreed, but we somehow managed to talk him into it. I'm not quite sure how, but but we managed. My respect for you and your work. Um, It was, you know, when she approached and said, let's do this, I've really fought not to do this kind of a project throughout my career. Um, But um, Shanti has been a cheerleader for me to do this for a long time. So when she said, okay, I'll put, I'll put this on the line. Let's do it together. um, It was a lot easier to step in. Good. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you did because it's an excellent resource. And, you know, it's so funny because I think, you know, what struck us, this was one of the conversations we had one night is most of us are curious about sex and we're curious about, are we normal? Like Mm -hmm. we're (laughs) curious about how do we handle things like 
you know, the like things, okay, we're in the middle of menopause and, and learning about how that affects the physical relationship and uh, all kinds of things like that. It's like your book really tackles the things that people are wondering about. And we, I just, I really loved that. And I am curious, how did you get people to give honest answers about that part of their life? Yeah. So this was, this was fun. Okay. And I will tell you because everybody listening is curious too. Right. 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 So we did two types of research and I'll let Dr. Mike explain sort of the more of the survey oriented stuff, the um, qualitative research, which is where Jeff and I, you know, in all of our projects, we've always done like <laughs> random stopping people on the street corners and asking them questions. And <laughs> that for this to topic. It's <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> we would have needed a line item for bail money. Um, <laughs> on the budget so we what we did actually was really kind of cool because Mike didn't need the qualitative research like he said 35 years of listening to people mm -hmm. we were the ones that needed to try to see the patterns and that kind of thing and so what we did which was fun fascinating and fun was we basically had random people who offered to do interviews anonymously over Zoom with me and Jeff okay. with our camera on and their camera blacked out okay, and a fake name. So, you know, farm boy and buttercup. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Wanda and Vision and whomever else. Oh, so that's great. It was fantastic because we had no idea who these people were. Mm -hmm. And it, mm. but they could see us, they could get comfortable and they were so willing to go really into depth and like, here's some of the heartaches and here's some of the things we're wondering, like, are we normal stuff? And it was, it was just fascinating. So mm. that's how we did the qualitative side to try to get honest feedback. Mm -hmm. The quantitative side, Mike can tell you about that one the, the the quantitative side you know you can approach that a couple of different ways one is what we call a convenience sample that's how i did my dissertation where you just get everybody who you can talk to and you get all all of your friends to talk to and just gather as many people as you can but we call it a convenience sample because it's working through your own networks the networks that you have the other mm -hmm. is a nationally representative sample and in a nationally representative sample you're trying as close as you can to match what the country looks like and to do that generally you have to hire experts to to collect those um, that data because you can't just work through your networks. So we worked with two organizations um, to collect that data. The first one was uh, married individuals. So these are all people that are, are married, but we're not collecting spouses information. We're just getting their thoughts about their marriage. And we've got mm -hmm. almost um, 1,100 of those, uh, 1,097. And the second one is the one that I was most excited about. Um, and this is matched pair data, we call it in the field, or, or um, dyadic data, where we are collecting anonymously the husband's responses and anonymously the wife's responses. And they don't know what each other's answers are. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know who they are, but we know who is married to who. Okay. So okay. we can ask Mark, 
But we can ask Mark, what do you think Jill would say? And then we'll ask Jill what she really says. That's great. And so you have within the same marriage. So we'll ask husbands, you know, who's the highest desire in your marriage? And then we'll ask wives, who do you think is the highest desire? And who will your what will your husband say? And what will your mm. wife say? And it allows us to look at all of these misattributions and these misunderstandings that couples have about each other, where mm-hmm. he says, Oh, it's a five, and she says, It's not even a two, you know. Mm. Um, and we we get to look mm-hmm. at those kind of patterns. Right. Um, okay. And because it's anonymous and it's going out to, you know, we picked two 2018 census data. So it's designed to match that pretty closely in terms of uh, faith background, in terms of age, where they live in the country, um, in terms of racial and ethnic diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it matches as close as we can the average person in America. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating just yeah. to hear how you did that behind the scenes. Right. And, you know, I am sure, I mean, you have 30 years experience, Dr. Mike, and you, uh, you've seen it all, you've heard it all, I'm sure. But I'm curious uh, for either one of you to answer this, what was the most surprising thing that came out of this for you? Go ahead, Shanti. He knows that I'm going to, I'm going to want to take this one first because nothing surprised this guy. Right. Okay. <laughs> so there was a couple data details that were kind of surprising, but but yes, like I, you know, I spent the whole time going, "Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Whoa!" What? And he's like, "Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh." Yeah, like I've heard that 137 times. Uh huh. <laughs> this week. <laughs> this week. <laughs> this week. Right. So, so the for me, I will tell you what was the most surprising and candidly the most helpful, I think, for a lot of couples is we because we were all, and I should like clarify this we were specifically only trying to dig out the surprises. Like if it's Mm -hmm. stuff that the average couple already knows, then, you know, there's plenty of other books that cover the waterfront of like being a sex manual. (laughs) I'm like, I am not writing a sex manual. But I can't dig out like the surprises that matter. Like Mm -hmm. that's what I feel like I can do. And so one of the big ones that I thought was really crucial is that it's, it turns out that one of the main heartaches when people are not connecting in this way in their marriage, in the way they want, like, let's just say one spouse wants more intimacy than the other, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's one of the most common patterns. That was 79% of couples that, mm-hmm. that they were on different pages in some way. That's a mm-hmm. large percentage. Mm-hmm. It is a large percentage. Mm-hmm. And most people think if it is not happening in the way that we want, if we're not on the same page, there's one reason why, which is that one spouse just has a lower libido than the other, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just what you assume. That's what I assumed. And mm-hmm. instead, I mean, to some degree, the whole book was about the different reasons mm-hmm. for why that happens. But one of the big ones, it turns out, is that we have this Hollywood-based idea of how what sex is. And mm-hmm. we think it's because what we see in the movies, and we don't talk about this to our friends. It's like, not, we don't have any other data points, right? 
And so we see in a television show or a movie, you know, the guy and the girl look at each other and they get that kind of sense of desire and that sense of the sparks are just, you know, flying and pretty soon the clothes are off and they're in bed. And that is indeed one way that sex works, one type of mm -hmm. desire. But there's a completely different type of desire. You could call the Hollywood version initiating desire and the mm. other way, receptive desire. Now, there are other more minor other types of desire, but those two big ones, 55% of the population has receptive desire. It's not even initiating Hollywood way isn't even the majority. And so what we found that was so helpful was for for the person who is the receptive desire and maybe feels like something is broken or their spouse may think they're broken is that it actually the desire works in the reverse order. With initiating desire, you feel desire and you do something about it. With receptive desire, you have to decide to get mm. engaged with your spouse sexually. And then assuming that it's positive as you go, then you eventually feel that sense of desire that maybe your spouse felt from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like yep. I was shocked once I realized I started sharing this with my girlfriends, you know, they're like, what are you finding? And I would, <laughs> I would share this one and I would have all my friends go because it's it tends to be more women than men, not mm -hmm. always, but more women mm -hmm. than men with receptive desire. And all of my girlfriends are like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much more sense. And so it, there's such freedom yes. once you realize you're not broken. Yeah. Right. So anyway, that was my big one. Sorry, that yes. took too long. But no, I can see so how good. that's liberating for both parties, because one can be frustrated and kind of waiting on the other one to to get that desire and they just don't understand what in the world's going on yeah so, am i not uh -huh. desirable do you not want me right. why aren't you interested and it's like interest you're thinking interest means the hollywood version right right right, right. And it's, it's not that way at all. It makes me think of um, one time Dr. Jennifer Degler and I were having a conversation about this and she said something to the effect, particularly for the women in the, you know, we, it was for a, a women audience. And she said, you know, sometimes we have to make the decision and trust that our body will follow. And I remember that. Right. And I've had so many women listen to that episode and say, Oh my gosh, that was so helpful for me because I kept waiting to be ready <laughs> physically mm -hmm. and it wasn't <laughs> happening. And so trusting that the body will follow. Mm -hmm. What would That's you add? The, that is what the defense, that is the definition of receptive desire. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sorry. Go ahead, and, Dr. Mike. And when we, when we ask um, couples, you know, what leads the process? Um, and we said, you know, I desire sex after I've um, decided to engage and get physically aroused. The most common answer from women is usually, and the most common answer from men is rarely. And so what's happening is, is she is deciding to engage. Um, she's starting to get physically aroused. She's getting subjectively aroused. She's viewing that process. She sees that process as Oh, this is kind of fun. This is kind of good. I like his attention and I like how my body's responding. And it's not until those four steps have happened that the desire turns on in her brain. 
And so Mm -hmm. waiting for her to be hungry is probably not going to work. And we'll see the same, you know, I have a lot of guys that are um, 55 years old that go, wait, that's how I work today. You know, I, I, it's it's not like I was when I was 18 and giving Mm -hmm. permission for that receptive desire. The, the other piece that it does, Mark, you said is it frees both. Um, both can shift from there's something broken and wrong to, mm-hmm. well, how do we work through this? And, you know, the, the person with the initiating desire can shift from demanding and criticizing that you're not the way I want you to be to, well, what does it take to draw you into it, to woo you, to get you to where you're willing to engage, even if you're not hungry for it? And, and that, that shift in the marriage can be profound in how they begin to engage with each other. I, mm. I don't think I told, Dr. Mike, I don't think I told you this, because we, we've been having regular meetings every, every Wednesday for three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been doing this research project. And in our last meeting, I don't think I told you this, but Jeff and I were speaking at a marriage event in Idaho a couple weekends ago. And we shared, you know, from this, because the book had just become available. And so we were all excited to share what we found. And I said a phrase, and I saw all of the men, especially in the audience go, because I said, now, guys, I explained the difference in the physiology, right? Like that her desire may occur in the reverse order, if she is a receptive desire person, where she has to decide first. And I said, And guys, she is deciding based on how she feels about you and the relationship outside the bedroom the rest of the day and how you've made her feel. And I see all the men in the audience go like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. you know, like I if she is having to make a decision that makes perfect sense that he would want. And, and if the wife is the one with the initiating desire and her husband has receptive desire, that it's based on something that is not about the bedroom, yes. that it's based mm-hmm. on making your spouse feel close and cared for. It's just, we have thought that making somebody feel close and cared for was enough. And mm-hmm. you can do like to the guys, you can do all the chores in the world. She's still not going to be thinking about sex. <laughs> Unless, yes. unless you like flirt with her and like, I'd love to have this happen later. And then you've turned her brain onto it. And she, oh, okay. Like then I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Un- unless, unless they're one of the, um, the couples where it is um, flip. So when we look at higher desire, uh, we've got about a quarter of the wives saying mm-hmm. that they are. Um, And in those, you know, that's one in four marriages where she may be the one who's been thinking about it. Um, You know, two, two couples in my office um, yesterday, and she's like, you know, I'm thinking about it all the time, and I can't talk him into it. Um, And Mm -hmm. they're, they're the reverse role of that. Um, so while we will, you know, 52% of the time, the husband was the higher desire um, in in our study, um, when we asked the husbands and wives, they ranked the husbands higher. When we calculated it out, it came to 52 and 22% of them were, were even, were right on track with each other, Hmm. um, which is way higher than the couples predicted. Um, Hmm. which was one of the findings from the, the study is couples are way closer than what they think they are. 
You know, when we ask husbands to talk about their wives or we ask wives to talk about their husbands, um, they tend to get it wrong. They're, they're much mm-hmm. closer to each other and what they want and how they want it than they yeah. believe mm-hmm. they are. Interesting. We, we, one of the most interesting findings when Mike showed me this graph from the matched pair study. Now mm-hmm. we enjoy nerding out on this stuff. So I will, <laughs> I will, I will avoid that here. However, <laughs> when he showed me that he showed me the graph and he said, this is where, how much the wife wants, like you literally how much, you know, how often, if it was up to you, Mm-hmm. How often would you like to connect, right? And, you know, once a week or twice a week or four times a week or twice a right. month or whatever the number is, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's the average for the wives. Here's the average for the husbands, not too far apart. And then mm-hmm. here's how much sex they're actually having. And I went, wait, nobody is getting as much as they want. Mm-hmm. Isn't That's that interesting? Point. Like, Every both the, the husbands and the wives are actually very likely to be in a position where neither of them is getting that connection that they want as often as they want. And Dr. Mike, I would love it if you would tell them that example of how often somebody comes into your office with this and they kind of mentally switch. So um, a stereotypical story will be the couple sitting in front of me. And I asked that question, if it were totally Mm -hmm. up to you, how often would you like to engage? You know, what would you feel good about? And the most common answer from wives is one to two times a week. And the most common answer from husbands is two to three times a week. And I, I look at them and say, you know, there's not much difference between two and two. You guys aren't as far apart as you think. But what's fascinating is the higher desire spouse almost always looks at the lower desire spouse and goes, wait, what? You want it how often? Mm-hmm. How come we're not having it that much? And I point out that that's the key question, because the question up until this point has been, what's wrong with you that we don't have sex enough? Mm-hmm. You don't want it enough because I'm always available. So we only have it as often as you want it. You're the gatekeeper. And all of a sudden, they get this insight that, wait, maybe you're not the gatekeeper. Maybe something else is getting in the way because if neither of us are engaging as much as we would like, and that allows them to get to the same side of the table and start talking about how do we do energy management because you're just (laughs) wiped out. How do we get to Mm -hmm. where I don't feel like you're ignoring me until it's time for sex? Because that's not working for me. How do we, and the the couple starts problem solving what's going on in the marriage and in their life. That's a far healthier approach than what's broken and wrong in you. Yes. Right. And, you know, I, I, one of the things we say uh, when we coach marriage couple, married couples is that you need to invite, not indict. And boy, What you're talking about is these conversations where they are indicting one another rather than inviting. Yeah. Let's see if we can't figure out the dynamics that are going on here. So, So often it's the way we talk to each other. But I love what you just said there, too, is the things you talked about, energy management and, and, um, you know, things that aren't inside the bedroom. We really misunderstand how much of sex and what, how we need to approach it is actually outside the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I would even, I think with the thing I love about your book is that you really 
you guys really tackle the assumptions that right. we make. So right. I would go even further to say how much of it isn't just outside the bedroom, how much of it is wrong assumptions that's happening in between our ears. Right. In our head. Great way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the- in the counseling field, we call those attribution errors. We're attributing what's going on to the wrong thing that we right. believe um, the, the wrong, we have the wrong perceptions about each other. Yes. And, I, and I love what you, the language that you're using there of invite versus indict. Um, I tell my couples, you know, if we look at how Christ was, he was always invitational. He's yes. inviting, come follow me. He's, he's not demanding the only people he got harsh with were those that were using his law to wound others. Right. Then he got pretty harsh with, but outside of that, he's always invitational. And I work with so many couples that they are not invitational to each other. They're not wooing. They're not seducing one another. They're demanding from each other. And we as humans don't respond well to demands, to criticism, to contempt, mm-hmm. to to all these things that kind of try to make us be something. Yeah. Instead, what does it take to be the kind of person that draws your spouse forward? I use a controversial word there because I love it. Um, but I talk about how do we seduce one another, not by something that we do, but by who we are. Mm-hmm. That I live in such a way that is always seducing you, that the choices I make are honoring to you and invite you in and you want to be around me. We did that mm-hmm. when we were dating. Right. We we knew how to live seductively. And and somewhere in marriage, we shift to, well, you just ex- have to accept the worst of me. I'm sorry. That's who I am. And yeah. I, I tell couples that's that's really not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, being the kind of person that is always drawing to our spouse. Yes. Yeah. I agree. That totally sounds like the language of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs and uh-huh. just that totally. woo- wooing and invitation. What do you think attributes to the shift? So we're we're in dating, we're wooing and seducing, but then all of a sudden we shift to being in dating. Yeah. We shift in marriage. What's the shift? I know one reason from some of our other research projects, um, because we heard a lot about this when we were studying the secrets of the happiest marriages Mm -hmm. and seeing what they did differently. And one of the common um, patterns, I guess you'd say, is that boy and girl get married, right? Mm -hmm. And as there's something about the assumption when she walks down the aisle, and says the I do's and the marriage papers are signed. Mm-hmm. The husband stops wondering if she loves him. Like, okay, we're good. We're done. On to the next thing. And so, of course, we love each other. Of course, she loves me. I love her. Everybody knows it. Let's move on and like worry about other things. And that there's, so I know one thing that is very common is that often the husband is just assuming that she feels loved because he feels loved. Mm-hmm. Like we live mm-hmm. in the same house. We sit on the couch next to each other. We have sex. Like, of course we love each other. And and not realizing, and this is getting into other research areas that are a passion of mine, but not realizing that the question inside a woman's heart is always going to be, and at least, most women, 75 to 85% of women is always going to be this kind of, am I lovable? 
Like that doesn't go away <laughs> just mm-hmm. because he signed the marriage papers. It just sort of shifts to, mm-hmm. does he really love me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. is he glad he married me? And is, is, uh-huh. are, are we still okay? Mm-hmm. And so that's an example of one of the reasons why sometimes we start, we stop inviting each other is because mm-hmm. it's like just assuming. Yeah. Back that to that assumption. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Back to, you know, our friends, Beth and Jack talk about, do uh, how are we committing a suicide in our marriage? Yes. And boy, I love when they that, say that. I know mm-hmm. because, and it applies to your mm-hmm. research and the things that you guys, because really that's what you're talking about is eight areas of confusion and misunderstanding in marriage. That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Um, right. Would you add anything more to that, Dr. Mike? You know, I think when we move into a stage of marriage where I'm starting to demand what I want, um, it begins to fall apart too. Um, You need to be who I want a spouse to be rather than keeping the focus on how do I become the kind of spouse that works well in our marriage. And, you know, we talk in chapter nine about um, what it takes to accept each other for who they are so we can really grow a, a rich marriage and sex life. But we also talk about, um, you know, curiosity, which just, it breaks the back of all of that contempt and commanding and demanding. Mm -hmm. And when we're curious about each other and getting, getting couples to lean and go, wait, what works for you? And, you know, to go back to the earlier, why don't we have it as much as we both say, you know, what's Mm -hmm. in the way here? And that shift from demanding that you be something to being curious, that that's that invitational, that's that seductive stance. And we don't tend to do that well. We don't tend to be curious and believe in each other's heart. Um, so if, mm. if we want to shift it back to that early stage of marriage, we have to work on curiosity. We have to work on putting our spouse first and being the servant that scripture calls us to be with each other. Mm. And, and that will break the back of it and allows us to. Well, yes. it's, that, it's interesting you said said it that way, Dr. Mike, of it breaks the back of contempt. Yeah. It breaks the back of criticism. It, it, mm-hmm. It's the antidote yes. to mm-hmm. many of the things that are an issue in your marriage. And that was one of the things when we started seeing some of this come out in the data and I'm like, Mike, this is like curiosity is like a superpower. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. We see that. that. We've seen that in our own marriage. When we stopped Mm -hmm. being critical and started being curious, Mm -hmm. the dynamic between us completely changed. Yeah. 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 We, we, in one of our other studies that we had done and we saw it kind of, we saw it mirrored in this data, but one of the things that's really encouraging is that you can actually really bring about change often, not always, but often if just one partner decides to get curious, Mm -hmm. right? Like this does not have to be like, if you're in a, a relationship where you're like, I don't know how to fix this. They're not interested in fixing it. It's actually okay. Like just Mm. if you want to get curious about them and see what you can do, right? It's it is fascinating how how incredibly powerful that is. Well, you Mm. dial down defensiveness when you do that. You're Mm. really dialing that down, and and you're no longer engaging in a negative way, but Mm -hmm. in a positive way. 
Well, we could talk all day. Um, this is, I'll tell you, we have absolutely loved um, your your book. We've loved reading it. Um, right. We, uh, we're we not through it yet. So no. we uh, look forward to it. I was thinking I you mentioned it. chapter nine. I'm like, oh, we uh, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, I got the privilege of reading an early copy, but uh, we didn't get to read it together till what right. we're doing now. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating. It's full of biblical truth. It's straightforward, mm-hmm. practical advice. Um, we cannot recommend it highly enough. Where can people connect with, with each of you guys online? Where's the best way to connect with you online? Well, actually, we have created a joint um, online platform. You can see it at secretsofsexandmarriage.com. Okay. And it's actually a great place to start for a whole bunch of things, not just about the book, but um, Dr. Mike has been working really hard on like specialized articles on okay. things mm-hmm. that, you know, we couldn't cover in great detail in the book, you know, some unique things about sexual pain or pornography or, you know, just like pick a pick an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's some of that stuff on there as well, which we're hoping will okay. be really helpful. Some referral tools if you need further help, that kind of stuff. Cool. We will uh, include a link to that in the show notes and a uh, link to both of your websites as well. So thank you for yes. writing such a wonderful resource for joining us for this conversation. And Dr. Mike, would you be willing to uh, just close us in prayer, pray for our listeners? I'd be honored. Thank you, Father, for your calling into our lives, how much you deeply mm. love us. Um, for the truths that you continue to reveal to us that help us to pursue you and to be more like you. I pray for each listener that you will speak to them in the way that they specifically need and walk beside them through the rest of the day, bringing truths to their mind as need be. Uh, We love you. Thanks for your grace and love towards us. In your name Mm. we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.